Welcome, welcome, welcome to Above Replacement Radio. I am your host, Chris Gianta. You know what Christy Mathewson wasn't worried about? S-I-E-R-A. When you're thinking about Pedro Siriaco, I mean, the only one that can compete is maybe uh, Hannes Wagner's 1908 season. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Kern. Like, if we just clip together every time we've talked about him on other people's profiles, we've done a Mickey Cochran episode. I can't get past Rabbit Marinville. It's it's not necessarily Hall of Fame. It's not necessarily above average, but we can guarantee you we are better than just the standard replacement level college sophomore. And welcome to Above Replacement Radio. We're talking baseball kind of whenever. I'm your host, Christianta. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, I am doing well today. We have our last podcast of the first half today yes yes we do kind of crazy yeah pretty crazy um you know i mean well yeah technically a little uh, a little over halfway but yeah first first uh first or last show of the <laughs> first half yeah of the of the year before the all-star break um and yeah, uh, we, we are going to be getting into a little bit of the all-star festivities uh, in this episode. But before that, major news coming out of uh, coming north of the border uh, with Charlie Montoyo, manager of the Blue Jays, being fired. Um, just straight up, you know, not not being called for his duties anymore. Um what were what were your takeaways from this one? Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, it's weird because I've never considered the idea of this happening, but now that it has, it, it kind of makes sense. I mean, the Blue Jays are 47 and 43 on the season. They are 10 and 18 since June 16th of this year. And this is a team that, you know, it's weird because they only have technically two games worth of playoff experience that really don't even count. But this is a team that was supposed to win this division. A lot of experts had them at the top. You know, they were the most, they looked like the most complete team at the beginning of the year. And there's just been a lot of underperformance, uh, especially in the rotation. You look at guys like Jose Barrios, who just have been struggling. Hyunjin Ryu has been hurt. Uh, you have gotten good performances out of Alec Manoa and Kevin Gosman, but as a unit, not exactly what people had hoped. Bullpen has been like talented enough, but the usage has been weird. Uh, you know, I, I, the stats, I don't think reflect how talented that bullpen is. And that largely is due to, um, the management. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it, it's just kind of odd. It's like, you know, the, the blue Jays haven't been a disaster, but yes, they, they definitely have been underperforming. And I think usually you associate firings like a mid season firing with a disaster, you know, example, number one is I think Joe Madden got fired during like, I think the losing streak was at like 12, 13 games or something like that. Yep. When Joe Madden got fired um, or, you know, the Phillies, uh, the Phillies were like seven games below 500 in, in May when, uh, when Joe Girardi got fired. Um, this is kind of a thing where like, you know, they've been doing, poor for the last month and overall in the season they're you know four games above 500 right now when they should be probably more like i don't know like 12 games above 500 that's kind of what they're they should be on track for but it's not the case and you know charlie montoya is in his uh fourth year there 
Um, and you know, the, the, this kind of rebuild that, um, the Blue Jays were planning on hasn't, hasn't come to fruition quite, quite yet. And it seems like Toronto, it, it might, it might just be that they're making the move three months earlier than maybe they would have, uh, you know, they probably were going to end up making this move at some point and it, they just had happened to make it in the middle of the season. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, so I mentioned June 16th as the day where all this really started falling apart. Uh, their 10 and 18 record is the third worst in major league baseball over that time. The only teams that have been worse are the Oakland athletics and the Washington nationals. Uh, every team has had a better record than the blue Jays since June 16th. And the problem has pretty clearly been their pitching just as a whole. Uh, they're the only team with negative F4 out of their pitchers since June 16th. They're at minus 0.1. Uh, of course, that is in last. Uh, and primarily it's been the bullpen, but I'll get to the rotation first because the rotation um, has a five ERA. That is the worst in the, in the league. Uh, five, Actually, no, it's not the worst in the league. It's the third worst. Um, but they have a 5'10 ERA in the rotation and a 4.76 FIP. They have 0.6 F4, which is ranked 27th in the league. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Like the rotation. I mean, it's weird because, like, you have like you have your guys that are doing great, like uh, Ke- Kevin Gosman and and Alec Manoa. But I don't know. It seems like Jose Barrios has just been that bad. And then I don't know. Like even like Ross Stripling has been good. So mm-hmm. um, I mean, I. I thinking of their rotation like they have Manoa Gosman Stripling Barrios and I don't know who their other start other starter has been get has been like I don't know who they've been going with other than that uh I mean I can check that right now yeah it makes me curious of what the individual statistics have been since they started a guy named Castillo on Sunday against Max Castillo against the uh, Mariners I know that but he only made one start and it was fine um i'm going since june 16th let me let me take a look at that one real quick yeah i'm i'm doing the same because yeah i like um given how gauze you sick kikuchi you sick kikuchi's been around yeah you said yeah, yeah that's that's the other guy five five very good strikeout numbers oddly enough 11.3 per nine but 5.65 walks per nine and 3.14 home runs per nine that is abysmal yeah, and that's good for a uh, six two eight ERA and an eight point oh six FIP in this mm-hmm. uh, since June sixteen, and that's four starts, fourteen and a third innings pitch. So he's barely getting three innings to start. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the the big problems have been out of the bullpen, uh, not just or specifically uh, in the span. Uh, their bullpen ERA or their bullpen F four, sorry, is the second worst at minus, I believe, point seven. Um, it's, it's been, it's been a rough go for them, no doubt. And I mean, like Jordan Romano has still been fine. He's their closer, but you know, if you're not winning games, not a whole lot of games to to close out. Um, Trent Thornton has been the, the main problem. 12 and two thirds innings pitched out of the bullpen, man, uh, 6.39 home runs per or strikeouts per nine, 4.26 walks and home runs per nine. Oof. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, they also just added Sergio Romo. Uh, that hasn't been great for them. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah, also looking, uh, there's Casey Lawrence, who it appears he's appeared in three games in 12 in the third inning. So it looks like he's doing long relief work. So maybe that's not a big mm-hmm. thing, but he has a 9.49 ERA in this span. Right, um, yeah. Adam Simber has a 5-1-1 ERA in the span, although a 3-0-3 fit. Um, but, you know, the run prevention hasn't been there, so you could put that just on the team in general. But, yeah. Um, These are a lot of talented guys that just haven't been getting it done, and that can be pointed to uh, by the manager. They have a 4-7-1 ERA as a unit, the bullpen, since June 16th. Uh, 1.57 home runs per nine. That is the second highest. Uh, in the majors over that span. Um, yeah. Uh, or what's that? Did you say that you were they were uh, second highest in? Uh, home runs per nine and also F four. Yeah. Lowest in F four at negative point seven. Yeah, if they're yeah if they're um if you're giving up <laughs> home runs at a crazy rate, you know mm-hmm. that obvious that that leads to some losses where. There shouldn't be losses. Um, yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's been underperformance and yeah, I think general management is going to point to the manager and I guess, I guess they just wanted to rip the bandaid off and see if, you know, I mean, they're in, they're still in a playoff spot. Um, I don't think they are. Or I don't know. They're, I think I they're, think- I think they're like just out right now. Or maybe they're tied. They're tied for the the last wild card spot. That's what they are. Yeah. Them and the Red Sox are both forty seven and forty three. Yeah, that wild card race. It's like it's almost turning into a, a just a race of mediocre. Um, <laughs> there's like no one. Like everyone's everyone. Nobody in that wants race. it. Nobody wants it except for the Orioles. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. The Mariners are already going for the second wild card spot. Like they're they're past that point. Um, but yeah, between the Red Sox, uh, Blue Jays, Orioles, Guardians, and White Sox, like who are all within two and a half games of the third wild card spot, the only team that truly wants it is Baltimore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, like yeah, the the Blue Jays, you know, they they have a playoff spot as of now, but I guess I I guess they're thinking about like, all right, when we get into the playoffs who do we want at the helm? And I guess the answer was not, uh, was not Charlie Montoya. Yeah. Um, um, so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how they go from here. Um, just not just like organizationally, but just as a team on the field, obviously. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, I, I don't know exactly who, who's the interim manager right now. I, uh, could not even tell you. I think it was just whoever the bench coach was. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe that could work out. Always hard to, always hard to tell. Um, we can tell you based on other, uh, other in season um, firings. It's worked out for the Phillies. It hasn't worked out for the Angels. Um, yes. So very much know. hasn't worked out for the Angels. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, any any more thoughts on the Charlie Montoya firing? Not that I can really think of. Uh, I don't know. I think 
this was definitely an unexpected one. I know that there's been a lot of uh, just word coming out of Toronto about the manager, the person he was. I think Boba Shett, this, this could have been taken out of context, but Boba Shett said that he like didn't disagree with the move. That probably doesn't affect, that probably doesn't like involve his relationship with Montoyo. I think it's just you know, the team needed some sort of change and that was the one. Right, right. Yeah, I don't yeah. think, I don't think, I think Charlie Montoyo will find work again. I think one of the two teams that just fired a manager could probably use him. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, so yeah, the Blue Jays fired Charlie Montoyo and, uh, the, uh, next bit of news we'll get into is the home run derby field is filled out and it's, uh, it's very good. I really like great field. Do you want to do you want to go over the field? Sure. So uh, the number one seed with, I believe, 28 home runs is Kyle Schwarber. Uh, from there, it is Pete Alonso with the two seed. Juan Soto or Corey Seager at the three seed. That's basically the Dodgers representative, even though it's not really a Dodger. Yeah. Um, Juan Soto is the four seed. Jose Ramirez is the five seed. That's going to be a sick matchup. Yeah. Yeah. So, for Soto sure. versus, I wonder if uh, Ramirez will hit left to your righty. Yeah, that's a great question. It'll probably be lefty, but it'll well, be it'll be interesting. Thinking about Dodger Stadium, it's pretty even like, on both sides. I feel like um, if I'm not confusing, I feel like righty might, or I feel like if he goes up lefty and goes to right field, it might be easier. Um, actually, yeah, go, yeah. What, what are the uh, six, seven, and eight seeds? Uh, Julio Rodriguez is the six seed. Ronald Acuna Jr. is the seventh seed, which is hilarious. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, and then Albert Pujols is the eighth seed. That's obviously a very cool uh, a thing that he's competing. I'm going to be honest, Chris. My, my initial takeaway, I've said this every year that we've covered the whole run derby on this show, which has only been once, but they don't need to know that. Uh, people forget the one seed hasn't made it out of the first round since 2016. Uh, Stanton lost to Gary Sanchez in 2017. Reese Hoskins defeated Jesus Aguilar in 2018. This one didn't really count, but Vlad Jr. defeated Matt Chapman in 2019. And then last year, Juan Soto defeated Shohei Otani. I, I think that streak's coming to an end this year. Yeah, most likely. Like I mean... Albert, Albert Pujols versus Kyle Schwarber. Pujols has five home runs. Um, um yeah <laughs> he's also like the so the last time he did the home run derby was 2015 which is the first year that they did like time limits in the seating and even then it was a much like if you just watch the 2015 home run derby and compare it to the 2021 home run derby they're two entirely different games like the 2015 derby actually had the rule where the ball had to land before the guy could even begin throwing the next pitch they basically did away with that eventually and we've seen a lot of guys in the last couple of years just get completely gassed at like midway through the rounds and you could see it very clearly. And I don't know, 42 year old Albert Pujols whenever, when, you know, 21 year old Ronald Acuna jr. Was gassed after the last round in 2019. I find it hard to believe that he's gonna, he's gonna really put on a show, but it'll be cool to see him up there. No doubt. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, uh, I did the digging and, yeah, as you said, Dodger Stadium is completely even. It's 330 down the line, both sides, 385 to both uh, left center and right center, and 395 to 
dead central. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, I think that streak comes to an end as well, because also we've seen, we've seen Kyle Schwarber in the Derby before he mm-hmm. made it to the final round in uh, 2018, 2018 against Bryce Harper and uh, Schwarber's probably better now. <laughs> um, I don't know if that necessarily has to do with uh well, I don't know if that is going to translate to the home run derby, but he ha- he is, you know, a better hitter right now. He's a more prominent home run hitter now, no doubt. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think, yeah, like, I, yeah, I'd be shocked if, if Pujols uh, put together a better round than Schwarber. Um, that would be, that'd be pretty crazy to watch. I mean, it would be fun to watch for sure, but yeah. I'd be shocked. I think the fact that just other takeaways, I think the fact that younger guys like Soto and Acuna and obviously Alonzo for more obligation reasons are coming back to do it for a second or third time. Like that's really promising for the future because we see plenty of guys do it once or just not do it at all and be like, all right, that's it for me. Um, but these guys, you know, these three are going to make up a big part of the future, especially Soto and Acuna. So the fact that they're just doing it again, you know, that, that's very encouraging for the future. And to see guys like Julio Rodriguez as a rookie this year entering it, especially if, you know, the Derby is going to be in Seattle next year, very encouraging for the future of this, this competition. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. Like, you know, it, uh, I, I definitely understand if guys don't want to do it, but you know, everyone would have been excited to see Aaron judge do this, uh, mm-hmm. do this again, or, you know, even John Carlos Stanton, we haven't seen, or actually, no, Stanton, Stanton did it in 2017, and then he did do it in 17, and then he never did it again. Yeah, but it was also um, in Miami, so he probably felt a little more obligated to do so. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, wasn't yeah. Justin Bohr in that derby? Um, 2017, yeah. Yeah, I remember. Wow, it's fun, it's fun to find like random guys who did the home run derby. Oh yeah, for sure. That Justin might be Poirier. the most random. <laughs> um, Miguel Sano was in it. Yeah. Okay, so that so 2017, uh, Miguel Sano and Mike Moustakis makes sense. Uh, Gary Sanchez versus John Carlos Stanton. Charlie Blackman versus Cody Bellinger. Um, and then Justin Poor versus Aaron Judge. The Marlins had two players in that derby. That's interesting. Um, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go by year, just because that's fun. 2018, like obviously I remember Jesus Aguilar, I remember Bryce Harper, Reese Hoskins. I think Freeman Javier was Baez in was in that derby. Freddie Freeman, Kyle Schwarber, Max Muncy, and Alex Bregman. It's a decent it's a decent crowd. Yeah, that's a good crowd. Especially like Alex Bregman was in a. That was like his go offensive prime, yep. almost. I'm gonna go backwards here and look at 2016. Mark Trumbo was the one seed. Corey Seager did it that year, so this is not Corey Seager's first time doing it. Yeah, um, that's pretty Mark, cool. Mark Trumbo was in the home run derby multiple times. The greatest thing the, about this home run derby was John Carlos Stanton getting it as the five seed because he had a dreadful slump in the first half of 2016. So the fact that Robinson Cano went up there as the four seed and hit seven home runs was just the funniest thing ever. Yeah. <laughs> Stanton went up and hit 24, which was like generational for that time. Um, and the great thing about the home run derby is when guys in lower seeds put on a show because 
Like when you're the one seed, you just got to stop with like two minutes left on the clock. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's weird because it's, you remember the, like the, the big performances. Like when you think of the 2019 home run derby, Pete Alonso won, but your mind probably goes to Vlad Guerrero Jr. First because he was the eight seed and he did, they just let him hit as many homers as he wanted for, you know, the entire round. And then obviously he ended up facing Jock Peterson in that exciting semifinal round. Yeah. 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 2016 though. Mark Trumbo was the one seed. Corey Seager was the eight seed. Robinson Cano for Stedden. Adam Duvall versus Will Myers, who was the San Diego representative. Todd Frazier, who had won the previous year. And then Carlos Gonzalez is the seven seed. Um, nice. 15 now. Todd Frazier won it. Albert Pujols versus Chris Bryan, and Pujols won in the first round. Um, Jock Peterson versus Manny Machado. And then Peterson, I actually, I remember I had Peterson beating Pujols that year and I had like my, my Instagram account and everyone was like, you got Peterson beating Pujols. And I was like, yeah, I do watch this. And then he did. <laughs> um, Josh Donaldson is the three seed versus Anthony Rizzo. And then Todd Frazier versus Prince Fielder. Prince Fielder, that guy was awesome at home run derbies. Oh yeah. I mean, he won, he won two of them. Twice, right? Yeah. He won one in Kaufman. One in St. He Louis. In he was the St. king of Louis. Missouri. Yeah. Yeah. Facts. Uh, Yoenna Cespedes won twice. Yes. Obviously, Pete Alonso has won twice. Prince Fielder has won twice. Home run derbies are just a fun time. Like it's it is the highlight of All Star Week. The All Star Game objectively isn't that good. Yeah, yeah, it's not. It is. Yeah, it's kind of like if I missed it, I'm not bummed out about it. No, like I'd rather watch it. I'm get, I'm gonna watch the whole game. Yeah, me too. But and I'll probably be live tweeting it. I'll probably be doing some stat cast things. Yeah. Um, but the game itself, man, not great. Right, 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 right. They need they need to they need to switch things up somehow. All right. Well, um, do we want to predict this uh, home run derby? Oh, geez, I haven't even done it yet. <laughs> I feel like I need a little more time. Do it on the fly. Uh, let's, let's do that on Monday. Do that on Monday. Are we recording Monday? Yeah, why not? Oh, maybe Tuesday? Oh, wait, no, the Derby is Monday. Yeah, this is the last show we're going to do before the Derby. Um, okay, I'll do, a, I'll do a, a bracket here, but it'll probably my actual bracket will probably be changed once I put a little more research in. Okay, so we'll have the, 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 gut, the gut bracket. Yeah, the gut bracket. Um, All right, you want to start off? Um, yeah, I'll, well, I mean, Schwarber versus Pujols, I'll take Schwarber. I will as well, yeah. Um, Pete Alonzo versus Ronald Acuna Jr. Does Pete Alonzo have the pitching coach throwing to him like he did last year? Gotta hope so. If he does, I'm taking him because I swear that dude had aimbot on. (laughs) Yeah. Every pitch was in the perfect place. Yeah, I'm gonna take uh, I'm gonna take Pete Alonso there. Yeah. Um, then you have Corey Seager versus Julio. Julio I might take Rodriguez. the upset here. You're taking Julio. I'm gonna take the upset. Yeah. Um, I'll take I'll take Seager because he I think he he just has a very good swing and he's very used to that mm-hmm. stadium as well. Um, and I think yeah, I just think he has a very consistent swing. But I wouldn't be surprised if Rodriguez won it. Um, and Soto versus Ramirez. Soto I'm taking versus, Soto. 
Yeah, I'll take I'll take Soto as well. Um, Jose Ramirez, it's it's weird because he doesn't hit like he doesn't hit bombs, um, but I think he has a very consistent swing, um, mm-hmm. and he like knows he knows how to hit home runs. He pulls most of his home runs, but I don't know. I think Soto just. I think he'll yeah. he'll take that. So then that would lead to so uh, we have Schwarber versus Soto. Schwarber versus Soto. I'll take Soto in this one. And I'll I'll do that because if you remember last year, Soto came in as the eighth seed. He, you know, put on that show in the first round. Shohei Otani ended up tying him. And like he got he was very clearly gassed in the second round after you know a full round plus a tiebreaker and in Coors Field. I think, I mean, he's going to be the four seed. So if he wins the first round, he won't have to use all the time unless it, you know, comes down to another tiebreaker. But I think he'll be much more rested before the second round in this one. So I would take Soto uh, over Schwarber. Um, yeah. I, yeah. This is a hard one to pick for sure. Um, like, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, there's solid arguments for both. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of leaning toward. Uh, towards soto here as well um so i guess i'll go soto there and okay. then um we have two different matchups i have yep seager versus um alonzo you have rodriguez versus alonzo who are you going I'm with pete. i'm taking pete yeah i'm uh i'm gonna go with pete alonzo as well yeah so and then it's... we both have a soto alonzo final yeah and I mean, I i'm know. gonna take pete i'm I, taking I, pete I, yeah, yeah I'll go with this Pete. thing again. I'll go with Pete Alonso until he loses. That's exactly my thought. Like, if you just watched the Derby last year, and I did this admittedly last year when I was watching Pete Alonso, it was like, man, why, why didn't I pick him? This, this seems so obvious. Uh, I'm, I don't want to make that mistake again, and I'd yeah. rather accidentally be wrong here than hate myself for not being right if, if he wins. Yeah, that's probably yeah. I'm probably picking home run derby the same way in the future i'll be picking al mvp yep it's, like show hate till he loses it's pete alonzo yeah it's because like you want to get it right and you know if you if you don't pick Shohei and he wins it for mvp like you're just gonna hate yourself because it's like yeah obviously he was going to win it why wouldn't he and that's how i felt watching pete alonzo last year was why wouldn't he win this derby yeah. uh so yeah that's my mindset i'm going with pete alonzo yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, pretty similar uh predictions from us. Uh not a surprise. Uh all right. Well, that leads into uh our um interview with uh se- second interview with yes. Mark Simon. Um a pleasure to have him on once again, defensive correspondent as a uh, as a uh, Daniel established that title earlier and Mark really appreciated that title. He actually he sent a tweet out um yesterday actually. Did he? It. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, he he appreciated it. Um uh, and yeah, we we talked about um different teams uh having different tre- trends in defense, most notably the Yankees and Giants. He gave a great he gave great explanations as to why that was happening. Um also touched on some individuals like uh Starling Marte, Jonathan Scope and uh and yeah just kind of gave his general takeaways from the season so uh yeah here's our uh here's our interview with mark simon part two
And we are here happy to be joined by Mark Simon. Uh, we established him earlier, first of all, without him as our defensive correspondent. Uh, so happy to be joined by you. Uh, how have you been, Mark? Uh, I'm great. And I love the title. Uh, thank you for uh, calling me that. I think I will. Uh, I think I might be using that from now on. Yeah, we love it. We love it. Um, so, uh, Daniel, did you want to uh, want to maybe introduce a uh, first question? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the last time we spoke to you, it was going into the World Series. And obviously a lot has happened since then. Uh, we are a little over three months into this season. What have just been some of your biggest takeaways from the 2022 season thus far? <sighs> Dominance of the Yankees certainly would be uh, at the very uh, top of the list and Aaron Judge and everything that uh, he's done this season. The New York, uh, I think the New York baseball scene as a whole, they have two teams that are probably, I mean, not definitely, but have a pretty fair shot to win a hundred games. Uh, that's uh, been run one really cool aspect of things. Otherwise, I think like, I, I think the decline in home runs uh, certainly was a bigger thing earlier in the season. It's a little less so now, and I'm glad that that's uh, tapered off a bit. You're going to see some changes next year, I would imagine. I don't know uh, if they will go all out uh, to some of the things that they're talking about. Uh, but the batting averages right now are just, uh, you know, batting average isn't necessarily mean anything people say, but they're just, they've just sunk. And there are too many games where, like, teams just look kind of lost at the plate. Um, and I think we need to get back to um, <laughs> this will pull my age, I guess. We need to get back to like a, a 1980s ish more uh, approach to things kind of combined with this um, modern approach where um, you can string together a few hits. Like I was looking up, I, I was looking just I'll give you one like I was looking at like Tristan McKenzie um, yesterday. And it's like if you don't hit a home run against him, it's like. You're kind yeah, of stuck. Yeah. Now he's given up a fair number of home runs, and he's—it's he's, not like he has a two ERA, but there it shouldn't be like that. Like you should have a—you should have a fair shot, a more fair shot to get a hit. So that's something that has uh, stood out to me. Uh, and then I guess uh, some of the team surges that we've seen recently have been pretty cool. Uh, the Braves certainly, for one, showing uh, that they're uh, living up to what they did last season. And then more recently, it's it's. It's cool to see the Mariners and the Orioles uh, having their moment uh, at this point in the season. I don't know that those will last, but uh, it's cool to see nonetheless. You mentioned uh, Tristan McKenzie and how you were paying, you were watching him yesterday. I actually watched his brother play yesterday. Neat. Yeah, his, uh, he has a younger brother who goes to Vanderbilt and currently plays for the Keen Swampats of the New England Collegiate Baseball League. And uh, I was down there yesterday taking in some doubleheader action. Nice. Is his brother uh, like similar build to him? Uh, I mean, I have never seen Tristan in person, but from what I gather on the TV, Tristan looks like pretty tall. Yeah, like, 6'5", 165. Yeah. Uh, I didn't quite get that vibe with uh, TJ. He's a center fielder, not a pitcher. Yep. So um, I didn't get quite the same vibe, but he's, I mean, he's still very good, no doubt. Cool. So... 19, 1980s baseball. Are you um, big into uh, base running? 
am I big into base running? I'm modestly into base running. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that. I don't know that we need to go back to the days of the St. Louis Cardinals and 200 and whatever stolen bases and, and Vince Coleman and Willie McGee and those guys. But I think just a little more action uh, would certainly make it um, a more appealing sport at this point. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm I love um, I love having active base running, you know, stolen bases being part of the game for sure. Like, I think that's one of the things that what part of like one of the big exciting things about like Julio Rodriguez coming up is, you know, he's, I think still leading the league in stolen bases. And um, I mean, last year, last year, the stolen bases leader might've had, I think he had less than 40. I, I forget who it was, but usually it, you know, 10 years ago, it was like, you know, up to 50 and obviously like 40 years ago, it was near a hundred, but you know, it might be hard to get back there, but yeah, I, having, having some more, uh, having some more, you know, stolen base action might be, might be uh, fun for the game. Yeah. I, I just, if you think about it, I think, uh, you know, a pitch um, like it's over in a split second, you want something that kind of prolongs the moment. Like I, I, we were talking, I was talking with someone about it at inside the park home run the other day and how that's like such a super cool play because it's 15 seconds uh, 15 to 20 seconds of jam-packed excitement um, because there's the moment where the fielder might catch the ball at, or, uh, or, and then there's the moment where something weird happens that leads to the batter having a chance. And then there's the moment where the batter picks up speed and really tries to turn it on. And then there's the moment where the batter slows down because he has, he's running 360 feet. And then there's the, the moment where he tries at the very end to score and you get like six really cool things happening in just one uh, baseball play. Now we don't need inside the park and runs, but you know, more triples, more doubles, certainly uh, add a little excitement to the game. The the thing about inside the park home runs is that like something weird has to happen because you don't just straight up get a guy that circles the bases like on a ball in the gap. Like anytime there's an inside the park home run, you hear about it, you're like, I gotta see what happened here. Like how did how did the defense let that one happen? Right. Like the one that I'm so the one that I'm referring to is from 2005, and it was Steve Finley kicking a ball uh, that he just missed catching. Like he tried to make a shoestring catch, he just misses it, and the momentum of his running leads him to kick the ball like you know, tw- uh, 20 yards away, probably. And then they have to run and chase it down. And the guy's, uh, and the guy's doing what I said, he's picking up speed and then, uh-oh, well, it's 360 feet. And now I'm starting to slow down. Then you get a really cool play at the plate. Um, yeah. Anyway, that, that's, uh, that's my little spiel on that, I guess. I remember in, uh, I think it was 2015. Uh, it was like the first spring training game of the year for the Red Sox and Alan Craig hit it inside the park home run. But because it was the first game of spring training, there was just no footage of it for whatever reason. (laughs) And the world never knows what, never got to know what that looked like. So there was an Alan Craig inside the park home run somewhere out there. Uh, But nobody, but nobody really knows if it actually happened or not because there's no footage. It's like the remnants of the world series is from a hundred years ago. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They just have, yeah, they have the, the actual film or he, look, he looks like he's going 50% faster than he actually is. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with, like, if you're at a ballpark and, like, even just, like, a triple happens, like, that you can feel you can feel the crowd, like, everyone's into it for those, you know, 10 seconds. It's like, yep. oh, he's, he's going for third. It's a head first slide. Um, anyway, back to, uh, yeah, I, that's, you know, a very, very interesting conversation to have for sure. Um, you mentioned 
one of your takeaways from the season dominance of the Yankees. And obviously there's a lot of factors with that. And one of them has been defense. They actually lead uh, or as of a couple of days ago, and I think they still do. They lead in team defensive runs saved. Um, a lot of that seems to be with some of the additions they've made. Uh, what have your, what have you taken away from the Yankees improvement uh, in, in their defense? Yeah. So this is, um, this is one of those things that's I think fairly like not hard to show from a statistical perspective. Um, the Yankees are just a much better team this season uh, at one of the most important things that you can be good at, which is turning ground balls into outs. Um, they, uh, they did not do it at a particularly good rate last year. I think last year they were 29th in defensive run saved this year. They are, I don't know if they're, uh, number one, I think the, the Cardinals, uh, might be number one, but they're up among the top teams and their improvement. I believe it's them and the Red Sox. Uh, the last time I checked it, it was them and the Red Sox that were the two most improved teams at turning ground balls into outs. Now that's happened a lot on the left side of the infield, uh, with, a couple of new additions with uh, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa at shortstop and Josh Donaldson, who plays uh, in tandem at third base with DJ LeMahieu. And third base for the Yankees in defensive run save, they're like off the charts at that. Uh, so that's uh, that's one thing that's happened is just that um, the ground balls that have been hit, a lot fewer, the fewer of them are getting through. And that's a product of a combination of positioning, which we take into account, and just good skill, uh, which those guys have. They, uh, Kiner Falefa uh, has won a gold glove. Donaldson in the past had been a really good fielder. DJ LeMay, who had been excellent at second base in the past. Uh, Glaber, who had been uh, good, then poor, is now good again. Um, and yeah, and the other thing with the Yankees that kind of slipped, I know you like under the radar, uh, Jose Trevino, catcher, uh, really good at pitch framing. Really good at pitch blocking, um, miles and miles better than Gary Sanchez at both, and uh, that's another area where the Yankees have—they've um, essentially uh, peaked. They're atop the sport uh, at the moment in catcher run saved, and Trevino uh, is the guy that is a catalyst of that. Uh, you mentioned IKF and. That was a big storyline going into the Yankees season because there was obviously the big shortstop free agent market. The Yankees, not only did they not get one of those shortstops, but they got IKF, who some could have probably viewed as a downgrade offensively. But, you know, he came in with very good defensive numbers. He was a, you know, a rare catcher shortstop combo. Uh, How much do you appreciate a guy like a moment like that where the Yankees could have had anyone at shortstop and they went with a guy solely for defense and it's obviously been paying off? Yeah, uh, kudos to Brian Cashman, I guess, for that. And he hasn't hit. Like, he hasn't hit at all. Oh, not at all. Uh, like, he's, he's got a 640 OPS at the time that we're, uh, that we're taping I believe, this. I believe he has a 67 weighted runs created plus since the beginning of May. Yeah, he's, he's shabby uh, on the offensive side. But on the defensive side, like, he's not, like, flashy. And he's not, like, great. Like, right now, he's at, at three runs saved. But I know that earlier in the season, he was in the negative. So I know that he's he's been trending up there. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's he's a um, it's kind of like Paul DeYoung, uh, who was on the Cardinals, who got demoted after he didn't hit it all this year. But it was it's kind of like that, that he makes the plays that he's basically supposed to make. And he plays a lot. So he keeps a worse defender 
on the bench. Like he's essentially keeping that replacement level defensive player on the bench because he can play 95% of the games. Uh, and he's done that this year for them. He doesn't have to be like a superstar with that team. He just has to be like, not what Gleyber Torres was uh, in some previous seasons for them. Absolutely. I mean, anytime you can keep him, him away from short, you're going to have a much better time. Um, and yeah, with one, one last thing on the Yankees is <clears throat> so like you, you know, you see things from a more like defensive lens in terms of player evaluation, um, you know, and people like maybe, maybe like myself who, you know, they, I see, you know, the Yankees, Oh, what are their offseason additions? Oh, it's Trevino. It's IKF. It's Josh Donaldson who, you know, he, he's not hitting like he did in 2015. You know, I probably, you know, I probably didn't see the Yankees as much of a threat. I had them in fourth place before the year started, by the way, did you kind of, <laughs> did you kind of, uh, forecast maybe, um, did you, did you forecast a different future for the Yankees possibly because you, you saw such a great improvement in defensive players, um, or just general defense based on their additions? Uh, that's a good question. You've got me actually searching on Twitter now to see if I can find uh, my 2022 predictions. Because, yeah, I, so I always do this. I always pick the Yankees. To, I almost, I think in the time I've been doing this, I think I always pick the Yankees to win the AL East. I had them at 94 wins. Uh, and that's be way I, off. I think I always, <laughs> it is, but I didn't think it was going to be short. Um, I, and I always picked them to get to the World Series. Um, just, I, I, I don't know. It's kind of like a reflexive habit. Uh, in fact, I'm looking, my AL East picks were Yankees, 94, Blue Jays, 93, Red Sox, 92, Rays, 90, and then whoops, Orioles, 59. <laughs> they're going to, they're going to, they're going to be there by the end of July. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what did I see in the Yankees? Um, I think, uh, so whenever I pick the, whenever I do this, I always, factor in that the Yankees are going to make moves on July 31st to bolster the team. And then I look at the current roster and I look at judge and I figure the judge is going to be good. And I just look at the combination of all the veteran players that they have. And I figure that enough of them are going to be pretty good uh, that they're just going to be a very solid team. I had no idea Clay Holmes was going to do what he's done. I had no idea Nestor Cortez was going to be what he was going to be. The 94 pick was largely based probably around Cole Montgomery, Tyon, uh, maybe with a touch of Severino, Chapman, Rizzo, um, Judge, Stanton, Gallo. Uh, I just feel that the accumulation of players there was just too good. I, I couldn't have picked a lot of the things that went right. And I did, I, I will say, I did absolutely think they were going to be a much better defensive team. I don't know that I necessarily thought they were going to be this good. Yeah. Um, and transitioning from a team that has made a great improvement um, defensively to a team who almost inexplicably has made a giant downgrade in uh, defense, despite not a lot of offseason moves. They didn't necessarily move uh, anybody away, uh, but the San Francisco Giants, they went from, uh, you know, a very good defensive team last year to a very bad defensive team this year. I think they're, you know, bottom three in defensive runs saved right now. Um, is, you know, I haven't really been able to find an explanation. Um, any, any, any explanation you can provide? Sure. I can walk you through this as a matter of fact. Uh, and I will tout that we are, 
I guess you would call us the unofficial statisticians of the San Francisco Giants uh, TV and radio broadcasts. Uh, we uh, we provide them uh, some assistance, uh, which is a cool project that I've worked on for the last, um, I guess, since I've been here, so this will be five years. Um, yeah, so the Giants are, the, the, the shame of the Giants is that they are very, very good at putting guys in the right spots to make plays, uh, but the execution has been totally lacking. And that's true at second base. That's true at third base. That's true at shortstop. Uh, Those three in particular on the infield, uh, Brandon Crawford has, I think, has shown a little bit of his age this year uh, compared to um, past performance, certainly compared to last year. Uh, third base, Longoria has been up and down. Second base, Tyro Estrada, his numbers are not uh, particularly good. They're, they're, the thing that I said about the Yankees with the increase in turning ground balls into outs, it's like the opposite is true for the Giants. They've had this major decline in that. They also, they're sacrificing a little bit by putting Jock Peterson in the outfield. And um, as a result of that, and uh, also I think Darren Ruff a little bit, they've had some balls get over guys' heads uh, that weren't getting over guys' heads uh, last year. So, yeah, that, and remember too that they don't have Buster Posey. They didn't have Brandon Belt for uh, an extended period of time. Uh, they are, and again, the shame of it is that like you'll see it's like a ground ball right at someone and something goes wrong. Or they've gotten bit a few times by um, ground ball in front of someone where he has to kind of charge a little bit and they can't make the play. Um, yeah, I think that that's a, a fairly brief summary of, of where they stand right now. And I, I'll, I'll note, I can't do that for every team. You hit the <laughs> one team that I can do yeah. that for. Uh, we cover, we cover the, the Giants and the Tigers. We help their broadcast crews. Uh, so those are two teams that I can uh, speak a little more uh, about than I might normally would. How familiar are you with the season that Alice Cobb is currently having? Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm glad Poor that you guy. said that. Poor so guy. The, the shame of that is sim- it's, it's, that's the issue. Is like yeah. and and it's Tyler Rogers too that there have been a lot of ground balls uh, where like things went wrong whether it was a weird hop or a ball that got muffed or a double play that didn't get turned. Um, Alex Cobb's numbers should be considerably better than what they are. This is something that we've actually we've alerted the broadcast crew to a number of times and they've talked about it that his ERA is about a run and a half higher than his FIP. Uh, it was similar, a similar situation last year. He, I'm sure when he signed with the Giants, he thought he was going to a good defensive team that was going to fix things. ZRA would be three. Not the case. I mean, like he's literally a sinker baller. Like he yep. is designed to give up as many ground balls as possible. Yep. And it's, it's, it's unfortunate for him. And again, it's a case of just the execution uh, not being there in the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, we actually have a youtube short on him um on our uh, on our youtube page and yeah we did some digging and I, I think it was before his last start we came up we came up uh with the with the stats hitters were hitting 302 on ground balls against him league average is 238 um yep. that's a that's a, that's good re- that's the way you're, you should research it basically yeah and uh and on if you want to go deeper on ground balls hit 78 miles per hour or lower they were hitting 353 on those 
ground yeah, balls, which is it's the so, it's the soft stuff. Like they've the in fair in the one of the things that's kind of uh, uh, I guess some people might quibble with undefensive run saved is like that little dribbler that's hit like along the line where the ball just kind of dies and it goes like twenty feet. Um, that counts as a hit. So we ha- or it counts as a non out. So we have to on every play like someone has to get debited uh, for that. So someone kind of takes the the fall in defensive run saved for a play like that. Um, and it well, it's unfortunate. It's it's unfortunate for Alex Cobb and Tyler Rogers that they've both gotten uh, bit by that uh, a little bit this year. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, to transition a little bit uh, back to, I guess, some individual players um, who in your mind have been some players or actually um, scratch that you mentioned one thing that came up uh, right, right. Just now you mentioned that the um, you're, you are a little closer with the tigers than most teams uh, provide some things for the, for the tigers. Um, A guy who's, uh, made some defensive improvements, um, not just in outs above average, but, you know, especially in outs above average, which is not, um, your expertise, but also in defensive runs saved has been Jonathan scope. I think he, as yeah. of a couple of days ago, he had eight and I think he'll be on pace. So he'll be on pace for about 15 or so, which is a, a very elite, um, very elite, uh, defensive run saved. So any, any particular takeaways from Jonathan scope season? Yeah, if you, it's funny, and maybe you guys uh, can do this just for fun, um, if you enjoy this sort of thing. I'm pretty sure that he plays a deeper second in the shift than other guys do, and that he's probably got a collection of balls this season that he got to that other people just can't get to because they don't necessarily play as far back in the shift as he does. Uh, and he gives because he can throw and he can make that angled throw to first base from like really far out, maybe three, four feet further out than other uh, people. In fact, that was something I looked up for the Tiger broadcast uh, last night. As a matter of fact, for today's game is that I think it's that he plays like two feet deeper in shifts than the average second baseman does. Uh, it's on average. So there could be some plays where he's playing five or seven feet deeper. Um, I know that I've, I, if you watch like the, quick pitch highlights i feel like i've seen more than a few times jonathan scope in shallow right field making a play uh that others went so i would i would say uh credit uh goes for something like that that definitely explains a lot uh one i guess inside joke that chris and i have is uh going to baseball savants and looking at the bolts leaderboards where it's a bolt is you know a sprint of at least 30 feet per second and if you look at like the 20 anything from 2021 and before that it's Trey Turner. And then just everybody else is in a different zip code. That's exactly what the outs above average leaderboard is this year with Jonathan scope. Yeah, it's crazy. Like uh, I, I, I did see that and I don't think he has the, I don't know if he has the lead in, in defensive run saved at second base or not, but I did see that in outs above average, it's like him. And then everybody else is kind of, uh far from him i'm looking at second base right now who do we got let's see second base jonathan scope has seven runs saved tommy edmund leads with 11 scope is right behind trevor's story with eight uh i think what that what's happening this would be my my guess is that 
this is a guess, and I'm not going to say that I know this for sure with how uh, the ads above average works, but my guess is that there are some plays where we're giving the team credit for putting scope like in that spot. Um, whereas something like outs above average might be giving him a little bit more for making the play than we would, where we're, we're dividing the credit into two places, some credit to the team, some credit to scope. And I have a feeling that our, we're pushing more credit to the team than maybe outs above averages. That's just a guess. Interesting. Very interesting. Very interesting. And uh, scope, I believe is, um, coming up on uh he's on a contract year and uh that leads not to, hitting yeah yeah no, he's no, not at all yeah maybe the only reason he's getting a contract uh upcoming is 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 his defense so makes us curious um who are some upcoming free agents who are really increasing their value this year with their uh with their defense I made a list. I've got three uh, right in front of me here. One would be Jace Peterson of the Brewers, who is having a defensive season that uh, has taken me by surprise. I think he's at like 10 runs saved or so uh, at third base, and he's got an OPS uh, plus just above 100. So uh, I think at 33, maybe that may allow him to parlay a two-year deal as opposed to a one-year deal. That's just a a guess if teams buy into the defensive uh, quality there. And then the shortstops, uh, Dansby Swanson of the Braves, who has been up and down this year. He seems to be more up than down uh, defensively, combining with uh, the strong offensive season that he's had. And Xander Bogarts uh, has been much better for the Red Sox. Uh, He's actually positive in defensive run save, which is not uh, typical for him. He has been above average at uh, at making plays uh, this year. He has, uh, I did, I know I looked this up, like probably a month or so ago. Uh, He's just better at uh, fielding balls and turning them into outs this year. Another name that I would like to add to that, he's not an upcoming free agent, but uh, he's had an impro- uh, he's improved in defense this season, and there's going to be a lot of uh, you know storylines regarding his offseason. Rafael Devers, same same thing. He's done a mm-hmm. much better job this year. He's getting to more balls. He's making the plays he should make, which I think is the big difference maker because Devers has always been a guy that can make flashy plays. It's just been there are times where he will not make the plays he should, and that's he's been cleaning that up this year. Like I said, not an upcoming free agent, but there's a lot of talk over, you know, if the Red Sox are going to extend him. Of course, he's got two years left on his deal, including this one. And his defense has definitely been improving uh, just as Bogarts has. Yep. He's actually, I'm looking at the defensive run save right now. He's not necessarily plus at this point, but he's not terrible minus. No, he was, Uh, he's usually like worse in the league. Right. And he's not this year. And I'm looking at how we we have a thing where I can uh, ascertain like how it's split. And this year um, you have range, meaning did you get to the ball? And then you have, we call it throwing. It's really completing the play um, because throwing could be, you know, tagging a base too. Um, And he's much better in the throwing aspect uh, than he has been um, in the past. And in fact, he's cut down on like we track mistakes like we call it defensive misplays. Uh, mm-hmm. He had 22 errors and then he had another 27 plays that we could have considered that could be considered errors that were some sort of defensive mishandle in some Does, way. Do that errors could, count and those misplays? No. So that's separate. So okay. it's 22 plus 27. So we had 49 last year and right now he is at 
let's see, he is at 18, 11 errors and seven misplays. Yeah. So, yeah. So he'd be on pace for, for like 30 something. Than, yeah. Yeah. We're a little more than halfway through the season. So low thirties probably yep. as opposed to yeah. 49 and uh, looking at defensive runs saved. It appears that last year he ended up with negative 13 Yep. this year. Uh, he's at negative two. So yep. he'd be on pace for, you know, negative four. Yep. And let me say this too. This is important. I always, I call this the, the Lucas Judah to Eric Young uh, point that you can go from like, you can have a team where you have like an average defender and he becomes really good and you benefit from that. And it's like, a, a, you know, you can see the benefits of that, but it is just as important in my opinion to go from really crap to like something close to average. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a nice improvement. It, it's funny because you, you you might get you might get deked into thinking that the average guy is a gold glove guy when he's really just an average guy because he's so much better than the guy who was dreadful. Um, that's where I get into the Lucas dude at Eric Young Jr. And Eric Young Jr. was a decent, a good to decent defender, certainly. Um, but Lucas Duda was dreadful. And I say that with all due respect for Lucas Duda's hitting. Um it made, but it made such a difference both on the field in results and too, like psychologically for people watching the game that like you didn't have to fear the ball hit to left field like you did, you know, for someone else. So yeah, and Dever. So the point is the 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 grand point of that Devers going from bad to okay. That's a significant improvement. Like yes. that's notable. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, it makes like you compare if you're comparing contracts, like, you know, being an average defender and an excellent hitter versus a very bad defender and an excellent hitter. Like, you know, it could be the difference of a of a Castellanos Schwarber yep. type contract versus, you know, um, someone someone who's not that way, like Corey Seager or something like that. Mm-hmm. Sure. That, that's a that's a good uh, good point. It's very um, eye-opening to see what happens when a guy who is awful at defense but only really good at hitting becomes an average hitter. Like Castellanos, Chris just mentioned, he's yep. been having an off year offensively. I think his weighted runs created plus is like just below 100. His F4 is at minus 0.9 right now. Yep. Like he's almost lost a full game for the Phillies this year. Yeah, he's um, he's had an – like. He's had an interesting career. He needed to be in Philadelphia and Cincinnati in the early part of his career uh, when he was hitting fly balls to right center field that were getting stuck in Comerica Park's uh, big gaps uh, mm-hmm. instead of uh, at this point in his career, where, as you said, like the, the numbers just aren't there this season, at least. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And uh, I guess, uh, yeah, that should do it for uh for this interview, I mean, we're not going to talk Starling Marte. I was also going to talk, talk Starling Marte. Starling. All right. Well, for, just, the, uh, the I, I, I made notes. Challenge. I made the, notes. So okay. I, wanted, yeah. I, did, I did what I, we're not going to talk. Uh, all right. Well, we so, could, so what, what we could do is I could end this meeting and reinvite you. The this thing with the, Zoom, the remaining meeting time is a minute and a half. It's oh, because, I, uh, I, all right. How about I get my Starling Marte point in in 20 seconds? 
Oh, wow. Okay. Charlie Marte is a very good defensive player when he plays a corner outfield spot. He's not as good in center field. The difference between him and other corner outfielders, at least for this season, that's allowed him to have good defensive run saved is he's very good on fielding balls that are hit to the deepest part of the park. If you compare him to Castellanos, who's among the worst, there's a big difference. Here's the stat. Marte on deep balls. We have him with 52 catches on 61 opportunities. Castellanos on deep balls, 36 catches on 58 opportunities. 16 fewer in about the same number of chances. A guy who's pretty good and a guy who's not. Was that 20 seconds? Yeah. We'll count it. Yeah. Yeah. Looks like, yeah. <laughs> Excellent That's stuff. Right, he is negative. Uh, he is seven defensive runs saved as an outfielder and negative three outs above average. So I, I had to know which one it is. Is he good or not? That's a good question. Uh, yeah. But I, we, we will put our trust in our stats. Yeah. I know. I believe it too. Cool. Beautiful. Beautiful. Great to hear. Always, uh, always a pleasure to have you on. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, keep doing what you're doing because it uh, helps us out a lot. And uh, yeah, it's great. Thank, thanks great for being the defensive you. correspondent. Thank you. Yes. I appreciate it. And I will, uh, I will be maintaining that title. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. And that was our interview with Mark Simon. Um, lovely as always to, uh, to have a chat with him about uh, all the defensive topics of baseball. Um, so that leads into players to highlight for good and bad reasons. We'll start with the good for, with our, uh, Friday, July 15, 2022 edition of How about that? We have for us today. So, uh, my my how about that today? I don't know if there's no, oh, I got a new phone and I don't have the list on me. Wow, okay. Oh I don't know off the, I don't know off the top of my head if this guy knocks a team off the list, but uh this is a guy that has been doing pretty well all season, but particularly recently, it's Wilmer Flores of the San Francisco Giants, a team just mentioned in the Mark Simon interview, uh, not for offensive reasons, and Wilmer Flores has been tearing it up on offense. Since June 25th, he is slashing 294, 429, 686 for an 1115 OPS and 208 weighted runs created plus. Uh, This season as a whole, he has pulled the ball at a 48.1% rate. That is the 10th highest rate among qualifiers. And when he pulls the ball in this span, He's batting 632 with a 1684 slugging percentage. Uh, that average ranks third, and the average leads the 281 batters with at least 25 bad balls in this span. He's also seemed to have an immunity to sinkers this entire season. Sinkers, of course, are one of the more effective pitches, uh, mostly for inducing ground balls, but Ormer Flores has a 339 batting average and 593 slugging against sinkers. He also has a 13 run value. Uh, more importantly, his 46.4% ground ball rate against sinkers ranks the ninth lowest among the 44 hitters with at least 50 batted balls against them. His 13 run value ranks sixth highest for any pitch uh, thrown to a hitter, and it is the and he leads all against sinkers. Nobody has a better run value against sinkers this season than Wilmer Flores. He also leads the 111 hitters with at least 50 plate appearances against sinkers with a 5.4 run value per 100. That's almost uh, one more than any other hitter that uh, measures how effective he is for every 100 sinkers thrown to him. Uh, he's been tremendous on them. Uh, Wilmer Flores. How 
know about that. Um, I was actually curious a uh, like a, a few days ago about our list. Um, I don't have the full list, but I, I was looking and I was like, did we have a giant? And actually, um, we had uh, I did Mike Yastrzemski like six weeks ago. Uh, oh, I yeah, I had to look back. It was it was the episode I did, uh, did. in my car. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I was because I, was, I know uh, like off the top of my head, I know that like all of. I know off the top of my head that like all of the teams on the bottom of like the alphabetical per si- like for cities in the league, like almost all of them are checked off. Um, mm-hmm. And San Francisco is obviously down there. So I was like, there's probably a good chance we've did we've done them. But uh, yeah, I got a new phone yesterday and I do not have the list on me. Oof. Um, well, good news is Daniel has an iPhone after eight years of Androids. <laughs> yes. Um, or maybe technically nine. Yeah. No, but, uh, because it was, well, it was like around I, I for some reason i remember the exact day i got my first smartphone it was july 9th of 2014 uh don't ask me why i remember that but i just do yeah i remember um, weird things yeah um i remember the red sox faced chris sale that night and i believe brock holt to walk off single yeah i remember i got um not my first iphone but my first my my second iphone iphone 6 i was at the at&t store and on the way back i listened on the radio to david ortiz's 500th home run nice so i remember i remember where i was for that i was at a restaurant yeah with my family and i was like i'm sorry mom i have to bring out my phone during dinner because david ortiz is coming to the plate because it was because he hit 499 and 500 on the same day and you know it was the first i was like mom like David Ortiz could hit 500 right here, and he did. Yeah, David Ortiz had, like, he had 480 home runs, and then, like, a week later had 500 home runs. (laughs) It was so fast. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But, but yeah, anyway, uh, Giants, unfortunately, uh, but that's only our – I think that's only our second Giant of the season, so. All that – all this to say, it has been eight years since I had – uh, since I first since I got my first smartphone, which was an Android, I've been Team Android ever since. Uh, but now that I am about to enter the professional world, I feel like the timing is right to switch over to Team Team iPhone. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I did have a lot of peer pressure, as Chris knows. Yes. Shout out to our four-time guest, Nico Fasella. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Daniel taking his talents to Apple. Um, so. My how about that? Uh, and I, I think it does. Yeah, it, it crosses a team off the list. I went reliever diving. I, yeah, I'll, I'll admit it. Um, I'm looking at uh, an old old friend of, uh, of the Red Sox. Great story. He, uh, you know, in 2020, after seven mm-hmm. years out of the I already league, know. I already know who you're talking about. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> you know, after I think this knocks the team off the list after being away from the big leagues um uh he came back um and is a quality reliever for the Colorado Rockies now um i'm talking about daniel bard daniel bard in his last 20 appearances has a 0.84 era and a 421 ops against in 21 and a third innings pitched 
Out of 181 qualifiers, his ERA ranks sixth among relievers. And out of 323 pitchers with 50-plus batted balls against in the span, Bard's expected WOBA against is third lowest, expected batting average against is the lowest, and expected slugging against is the lowest out of 323. He has a 137 expected batting average against and a 190 expected slugging against. Um, This is unbelievable. His average exit velocity has gone from... 92.5 miles per hour to 81.6 miles per hour, a 10.9 mile per hour drop. And uh, after removing, after removing bunts, his average exit velocity is third lowest out of 323 in this span. Uh, His average launch angle has gone from 20 degrees to negative one degrees and uh, removing bunts, his average launch angle against, is third lowest out of 323 along with that daniel bard has not allowed a barrel in on any of the 50 batted balls against him in this span his ground ball rate has also gone from 43.8 percent to 64.0 percent uh more than 20 percent difference his ground ball rate in this span is fourth highest out of 323 uh along with that um before this span Daniel Bard's percentage of batted balls at negative five degrees or lower was 18.8%. And in this span, his percentage of batted balls at a negative five degree launch angle or lower is 52.0%. Um, and on those batted balls with launch angles of negative five or lower against Bard in this span, hitters are hitting and slugging 115. Uh, so, you know, obviously getting a launch angle of negative five degrees or lower produces very good results for a pitcher. All of this can be explained by his sinker usage and execution. He has gone from using his sinker 39.9% of the time to 59.9% of the time in this span. So exactly a 20% change in, uh, in usage for that sinker. And in this uh, 20 game span for Daniel Bard, uh, hitters are hitting and slugging 103 off that sinker. So Daniel Bard really turning into a, a great sinker baller, getting ground balls, getting very soft contact. Uh, he's been unbelievable for the past couple of months, and he's getting a. How about that? That is tremendous. Yeah, it's uh, thank some you. of your best work. Yeah, it. I mean, like. A 10.9 mile per hour drop in exit velocity is uh, I, yeah. I've never seen that before. You got you got my attention right there. Like yeah. I was locked in for the rest of the segment. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty unbelievable. And um, I, I guess more um, significantly, trade trade deadlines coming up. He's probably going to be one of the most valuable relievers on the market. Yeah, um, he is. He could go back to um, his original team with the Red Sox. Uh, I know. I know uh, Rob Bradford's like tweeted, suggested that a couple of times, like, you know, want to do that. A Red Sox, uh, Red Sox media member, Springfield College graduate, by the way. Yes. Um, so now we go from the highs to the lows where we're talking about players or subjects that have been underperforming in our Friday, July 15, 2022 edition of Slightly Alarming. Who do you have for us today? Uh, so I am touching up on a team that you uh, dove into last time on Slightly Alarming. Uh, and unfortunately, I, I am also looking at one of your players to watch. I'm talking about Brandon Marsh today. 
who uh-huh. has just been very much struggling since April 29th. That's a large chunk of the season. Uh, he is slashing 197, 246, 286 for a 532 OPS and 49 weighted runs created plus. Uh, that weighted runs created plus ranks dead last among the 162 qualifiers. His 39.4% strikeout rate is also the highest uh, among qualifiers over this span. Uh, and since April 29th, 16.6% of his batted balls have had a launch angle between 22 and 34 degrees and an exit velocity, exit velocity that was below the hard hit threshold. So really the only thing you can hope to do there is pull the ball and hope to find a gap. Um, but he has the second highest rate uh, of said batted balls among the 307 qualifiers with at least 100 batted balls over that span. And on said batted balls, he is hitting 185 with a 259 slugging. Uh, he just hasn't found it. A lot of this can be explained by the fact that a lot of those balls have either been to the opposite field or straight away because you obviously lose a lot of your power naturally as a hitter when you go uh, to the opposite field. And obviously center field, you know, it's much deeper out there. It's much tougher to find one uh, that goes over someone's head, gets, finds the gap. Uh, so Brandon Marsh has been very much struggling and he's just not getting the bat on the ball in the right way. Yeah. Brandon Marsh. Slightly alarming. Uh, he's also my slightly alarming. Uh, this is, we've done this so many times this year. Yeah. Well, I mean like sometimes I think it's the fifth time. Yeah. It it, sometimes it's just obvious. Like, yeah. And you, you, it's like, oh, because when I saw, um, like Brandon Marsh, like I, I found a span and I found that he was last in weighted runs created plus. And I was like, oh, this is a great find. Uh, <laughs> I got to use this. Um, I used um, his last 51 games where he's, um, I, I think your span might have been better because like my he, span he was, was probably definitely longer. I can tell you that. Yeah. In his, in his last 51 games, he's hitting 185 with a 502 OPS and a 38.3% strikeout rate. Um, out of 166 qualifiers in that span average is third worst obp is second worst slugging is third worst ops is worst weighted runs created plus is worst um average exit velocity has gone from 89.5 miles per hour to 85.1 miles per hour so a 4.4 mile per hour drop and his average exit velocity in this span um since may 15th is 17th lowest out of 282 or 232 batters with 90 plus batted balls. Uh, that particularly is pretty alarming because like one of the, one of the things that stood out for Brandon Marsh last year. And one of the reasons I picked him as a, as a player to watch was his average exit velocity was like 92 miles per hour. His hard hit rate was above 50% last year. Um, so I was like, so I was thinking like, Oh, even if he has a, if he has a large strikeout rate, he's hitting the ball hard when he's hitting the ball and, you know, he had a crazy, crazy uh, line drive rate, crazy hard hit rate. And his hard hit line drive rate was like first out of over 300. But um, he doesn't have the exit velocity uh, this year. He's, he's not hitting the balls nearly as hard. Uh, he's not hitting the ball hard as often, uh, not nearly as often. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's why that's why he's been alarming. And also, um, I think whenever I, we do an angels slightly alarming. It's funny. Cause it's like, Oh, this is, this is why the, uh, this angels is why bad. Shohei Otani and Mike Trout deserve MVPs despite their team not doing well, because you have, 
you know, you have a lot of yes, a lot of underperformance. This is the second straight episode where we've talked about an angel. By the way, one thing I really appreciate about when we both pick the same player is it really like displays how differently our approaches are because we're pretty consistent with our approaches. Like we talked about the same player. You talked about like his changes in exit velo launch angle. I talked about the, the differences in uh, batted ball data. I think it's very cool that those differences are always there. Yeah. And we, we bring one, one big, one big, uh, one big slightly alarming with, from different <laughs> perspectives. Um, or how about that? Same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it, either, it's mostly been slightly alarming this year. Yeah. We either like, uh, yeah, we either like, you know, really, really highlight someone's, uh, someone's struggles or really highlight someone's, um, you know, mm-hmm. accomplishments. But this time it's, it's their struggles and it's Brandon Marsh, who from both you and I are getting a slightly alarming. Um, all right. Uh, so, that does it for players to highlight um, for good and bad reasons. Now we'll get into a preview of the weekend ahead. Um, I will be doing series last one watch. for a while. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, last one until well, actually last preview for a little bit. Yeah. Um, and uh, last but by the way, the matchups, like the potential matchups after the break are probably going to be so good. Yeah. They usually do that. They usually do that. Um, like the fun. best all-star snubs all facing each other. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> definitely pitching matchups. For yeah. Sure. Um, so my, uh, my series to watch include, um, Marlins Phillies because the Marlins are only three games out of a wild card spot. Um, and the Phillies wow. are in that wild card race. Marlins have stuck around, so watch out for them. You know, if they get on a hot streak, they could, you know, could find their way into a playoff spot. Uh, then you have Rays Orioles. Orioles are on fire, they're only a game and a half out of a wild card spot right now. And uh, so yeah, I mean, if they, you know, they have the uh, ability to gain some ground on the on the raise right now so watch out for them it's been it's been a while i don't know if i've really ever highlighted an orioles series but uh here i am it's you know it's time to watch them um and then the other series to watch is giants brewers uh that started last night in a great great pitching matchup between corbin yeah. Burns and carlos rodon um the the fip the fip leaders of the last two years um we had giants brewers uh brewers leading the nl central and the giants are in the in the mix for that uh for those nl wildcard spots so uh yeah those are those are the series watch what do you got for the day-by-day matchups so i mean one of the biggest reasons to watch any individual pitcher is just sandy alcantara he's pitching tonight in miami uh, Phillies Marlins, Kyle Gibson versus Sandy Alcantara. That's going to be a great one. Ian Anderson versus Patrick Corbin in Braves Nats. Nathan Ovaldi making his return from the IL to face Jordan Montgomery uh, in Red Sox Yankees at Yankee Stadium. How about uh, Zach Greinke versus Alec Manoa? I would love to. I'm sure there'll be some stats tonight where it was like when uh, when Alec Manoa was born, Zach Greinke yeah. was this years old, like 19 years old, probably. 
<laughs> he was already drafted by the Royals, whatever. Yes. Because um, Manoa's 23 and Grinky's what, like 39? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, you will have Tyler Wells versus Luis Patino in Orioles Rays, two younger pitchers. Robbie Ray will be facing the Rangers for the Mariners. Mariners are, are on an 11-game win streak. They had a big comeback win last night. Robbie Ray, by the way. Uh, 85 plate appearances versus the current Texas Rangers roster, a 198 Woba against and a 214 X Woba against 38.8% strikeout rate. So uh, look out for Robbie Ray to have a big outing tonight. Yeah. It's very and, possible. And he has a 0.91 ERA in his last six starts. Yep. Uh, Michael Kopech has been struggling lately, but he'll be taking on Devin Smeltzer and the Twins tonight uh, at Target Field. Hunter Green versus Andre Pallanti in the bowl of interesting guys who are kind of still finding themselves. Jose Quintana versus Herman Marquez in Rockies versus Pirates at Coors. Uh, Madison Bumgarner versus Hugh Darvish. That is a 2014 classic if I've ever seen one. Yeah. They'll be facing each other in Diamondbacks Padres. Brandon Woodruff versus Alex Wood in Brewers Giants. Uh, this is an interesting one. Taiwan Walker versus Marcus Stroman at Wrigley. Marcus Stroman will making his will be making his first start against the Mets ever since he uh, left there in free agency. And the matchup of the night comes from the freeway series. Dodgers Angels. You have Clayton Kershaw versus Patrick Sandoval. Yeah, that's a that's a solid that's a fun one. Solid lefty lefty matchup. Absolutely. So on Saturday, matchups aren't as good, but they're you know they're there. Lance Lynn versus Dylan Bundy in White Sox Twins. Uh, this is quite remarkable. You will have Marcus Stroman going on zero days rest to face the Mets again <laughs> because he's that petty. Um, just unbelievable the things that this guy does. Yeah. Um, Nick Lodolo versus Miles Michaelis in Reds Cardinals. Um, Mitch Keller will be facing the Rockies at Coors. Mitch Keller, that'll be interesting to see how he fares there because uh, he's been throwing his sinker a lot. Um, so it'll be cool to see what happens there. Anyway, um, sorry, Logan Gilbert will be facing Spencer Howard and Mariners Rangers, a couple of young starters there. Max Fried will be facing the, the Nationals for the Braves at Nats Park. Um, Michael Pineda versus Cal Quantrill in Tigers Guardians. Verlander will be facing the A's uh, in Houston. That'll be a good one. Dean Creamer will be facing the Rays. The Rays haven't announced a starter yet. Um for the Orioles and mm, Sean Manaya versus Tyler Gilbert and Diamondbacks Padres in San Diego, Julio Arias versus Jose Suarez in a lefty lefty battle in Dodgers angels. Another one of those uh, Eric Lauer versus Alex Cobb in the matchup of guys who have been struggling that shouldn't be. And matchup of the day, I think is going to come from uh, Red Sox Yankees. It's going to be Nick Pavetta versus Jamison Tyon. Right. Yep. Yep. So then on Sunday, it'll be the finale of the first half. No Sunday night baseball this week. Uh, the futures game will be on. So definitely watch that one. Um, yep. If you can, Jose Barrios will be facing the blue Jays for the, uh, against the Royals actually against the uh, Omaha storm chasers. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you all have seen that, that story, but man, that roster is very depleted right now. Did you, did you get a chance to see their lineup yesterday? No, they actually won. Oh well, yeah, I yeah. The Omaha Storm Chasers. Well, I saw someone Toronto got Blue their Jays. first home run. Um, yeah, Nick Prado is actually in the lineup. That was your player to watch. Yeah, 
Good He's to major see. league debut. Spencer Strider will be facing the uh, Nationals for the Braves. Shane Bieber will be facing the Tigers against Bo Bariski of the uh, of the Tigers. He's been pretty underrated this year. Corey Kluber will be facing the Orioles for the Rays. Aaron Nola will be facing the Marlins for the Phillies. Uh, matchup has been announced there. Dylan Cease will be facing the uh, Twins for the White Sox. Um, let's see. Logan Webb will be facing the Brewers for the Giants uh, in San Francisco. Merrill Kelly and Mike Clevenger will be facing each other in Diamondbacks Padres. And matchup of the day comes once again from Red Sox Yankees. This is an easy one. It's Chris Sale versus Garrett Cole. <laughs> I think it's going to be the first time they faced each other uh, since Garrett Cole came over. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, when was the um, last time Chris Sale even faced the Yankees? Did he face them last year? Yeah, I don't know. Um, he typically he probably did, did. He did well. He typically did well against them up until 2019. Yeah. Um. um oh, oops, that's 2022. He pitched well his last time out. Uh, five shutout innings. Five strikeouts, one walk, three hits, um, pretty well. He did not face them last year. So this will be Chris Sale's first time facing the Yankees since 2019. Uh, just for reference, his last outing against them um, was – Sunday Night Baseball. Yeah, and he got rocked. Yeah. Yep. And then <laughs> the end of his season was soon after. Yeah. Yep, it happened. Because I remember uh... – What a weird year that was. Yeah, the Red Sox won the first three games of that series against the Yankees, and uh, mm. and it was like, oh, sweep them. And I think they had a playoff spot secured, and then they lost eight in a row, and then the season was basically over. He he lost twice to the Yankees in that same losing streak. He lost on July 28th. I specifically remember that game. Um, and then he lost on August 3rd in the first end of a doubleheader where they got smacked. He had a game score of 15. Oh, yeah, I think he got thrown out too. Um, like on his way out though, because he didn't get thrown. Didn't walk out. anyone though. Yeah, that's that's solid. Yeah, I remember that uh that July twenty eighth outing because I was at a graduation party and I did not have internet access because we were in like the downstairs area of some restaurant where you had to go to like a specific corner of the restaurant where nobody was to get service. And I was like, I feel weird going there, but I want to know the score of the game. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, always, always funny to hear random, random stories of where uh, where we where were, we were for places. Red Sox games, but like um, not even once have any significance. <laughs> like um, I remember a random Brock holds RBI single in a game where we faced Chris Sale. It wasn't against Chris Sale; he just happened to have started the game. <laughs> um, well, we hope you enjoyed this one. Uh, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and want to watch the conversation as it happens, go to our YouTube channel and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Also watch the shorts. Uh, also, if you want to follow us on social media, follow me on Twitter, at Chris, under, at Chris underscore Gianta. Follow Daniel on both Twitter and Instagram, at Daniel underscore Kern, and follow the show Instagram, at Above Replacement Radio. And, uh, and yeah, we hope you enjoy this one, and we hope to see you on tuesday where we will be uh recapping the home run derby and uh and doing a probably some mid-season awards so yes. uh, we will see you then this conversation this conversation is over is over <laughs>